theyeshiva.net. Okay, welcome everybody. I missed you, it's been a while. Thank God we're back. And uh, ready to begin our new semester of learning. Be'ezer Hashem Yisbarach. So I'll first begin with to wish everybody a gesunte zume, whatever is left of it, a healthy and uh, splendid summer. And since we're already in the month of Elul, Ashana Toivo, Masuka, Ksiva, Vachsime Toivo, to you and all of your loved ones, a great and awesome and blessed year materially and spiritually for all of your needs and all of your desires. Revealed and visible goodness for you, your families, communities, friends, and all of our people, and all good people in the whole world. So, since it's the month of Elul, we're going to begin learning on what has become quite a famous mimer of the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, on Elul. And even though it's famous because we'll see why it's famous, because of the metaphor, but nonetheless, often people know the metaphor, but they don't have the context of the whole Maimer. So Be'ezer Hashem will go through this Maimer. It's a Lekut Torah Parsha Surah A, Taf Lamed Be'ez, Column 1. In the English numerals, it's 63. It's easy to remember this page because it's Lamed Be'ez, Lev, Lave, of course, means the heart, because this Maimer really is uh, the heart. <laughs> it's the heart of Elu, and it helps open, I think, our hearts. This discourse, Maimer, was said by the Alter Rebbe in the year Tovkuf Nun Zayin. That would be 1797. Tovkuf Nun Zayin, just for historical purposes, may be worth to mention. It's the same year that the Tanya was published for the first time. The first edition of the Tanya was published that year, earlier in the year, in the month of Kislev, Chav Kislev Tovkuf Nun Zayin, 1797. It was exactly two years before the famous or infamous incarceration of the Balatanya, which would happen after Sukkot two years later, Tovkuf Nuntes, 1798, from which he would be liberated and emancipated that year on Yutas Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, two years after the Tanya was published, and almost two years after this mimer was set. So, let's begin. Anila doidi vedoidi li roshetevis elo. He begins with that famous acronym of Elu. Of course, as we learned previously, we learned this actually in the weeks of Matais Masi, the beginning of the summer, that all of the months, the names of the months don't exist initially in Jewish history. They come back with the Jewish people from Babylonia, their Babylonian names. Nonetheless, Chazal have given these months' names a lot of meaning beginning from Nisan. So, for example, when it comes to Elo, we have in Svarim, we have the Avudraham, the Bach, the Arizal, give various acronyms to the name Elo. 
One of the famous ones is Anila Li The acronym of the name Elul, Aleph Lamed Vav Lamed, is made up of the four words in Shir Hashirim. In the Song of Songs, Anila Doidi, I am dedicated to my beloved one. Vidaidi and my beloved one is Li is completely dedicated to me. I am yours and you are mine. Which is an incredible expression of both commitment and passion. I belong to you and you belong to me. I am yours and you are mine. What else, what better way to describe a relationship where there is absolute trust and commitment? Just in these four words. I am yours and you, you're mine. There's absolute trust, absolute dedication, absolute commitment, and therefore also absolute passion and warmth. So Elul is Aleph Lamed Vav Lamed, Ani Lidoidi This already says an earlier Svarim. As I said, I think the first one who says this is Rabbeinu David Avudraham, was one of the Rishonim, wrote a commentary on davening. You have it in earlier Svarim, the Arizal writes it, in the writings of the Arizal and others. This Maimer is going to come to explain the connection. The explanation is, Elul begins the Anila Doidi process. What's called in Kabbalistic and Hasidic language, Isarusa Dulasata, that's actually an expression of the Zoyhan. The arousal from below, Isarusa, comes from the word Hisairus. It's in Aramaic. Isarusa means the awakening, the triggering, the renaissance, the arousal. Like L'orer, you know, to wake somebody up. The Lasata means below. It's the arousal that comes from within the person. It's integrated. Anila Daidi. There's a certain desire and yearning in me, an arousal that comes from within, from deep inside of me. Ani, it's me. It's me. I'm, I'm feeling a longing. That's what happens in Elul. That's what could happen in Elul. Until Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, then there is a certain revelation, a flow of divine energy that comes down. As it also says in Shehashirim, the female, Shehashirim is of course the great uh, story of the shepherd and the young uh, maybe and the young woman that he cherishes and and, and embraces and loves, and that relationship, the yin and the yang, they become close and they become distant and they search for each other and they almost lose each other, which only triggers a deeper connection and then they again and they come together and it's a very, there's five, five parts in this relationship, which as Rashi says right in the beginning, is a grand metaphor for life. So Shleima Malach says over there, Smoilaitachasliraishi, she describes his left arm is under my head, Vyamina in his right arm to Chapkeni embraces me. His left arm sustains my head, and his right arm embraces me. From Rishana to Yim Kippur is the materialization, the actualization of this verse. 
where his left arm is under my head, the left representing, you have the right arm and the left arm. So it says in Zoya, the introduction to the Kunei Zoya, Chesed while the right arm represents closeness, affection, the left arm represents awe, reverence. Then is the time when his malchus, his royalty is revealed. And that's why during that time from Rosh Hashanah 3 Yom Kippur, we focus on the term, on the name Hamelech, instead of saying Hakela Kadosh, we say Hamelech HaKadosh. Instead of saying Melech HaYizdaka Mishpat, we say Hamelech HaMishpat. The focus then is Hamelech V'simloich Atu Hashem Alekein Elavadach. Both in the Nusach of the Brachas and the theme of the blessings is we call him Amelech Kimalchus Chamalchus Kaleilam, as we say in Ashrei in Tehillim 145. Your Malchus, your royalty, your kingship is the Malchus of all of the worlds. It pervades all of the worlds. Pirush Shafilub Oilamis Ne'elam. Malchus Kaleilam means all the worlds, even those worlds that are Ne'elam that are concealed, meaning the highest spiritual states of consciousness, there is an awe and reverence of the king. From this comes the experience within the collective entity of of the souls of the Jewish people, that at this time of the year they are moved to accept the yoke of the kingdom of heaven, which extends throughout the year, that their awe and reverence of Hashem endures throughout the year. Because the awe of Hashem and the love of Hashem is not something that is just created or planted in the heart of a person from his or her own power and creativity, but it's really from the light that shines, that is communicated from above, when it's revealed, and that's the time of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is, It's the time of awe and reverence. Why? Because there's a divine revelation then that creates this sense of awe in Klolos Nesham Yisrael, in the collective entity of the Jewish souls, who are all connected holistically. And the neshama has the antenna that experiences and feels the divine tick, the divine vibrations at any moment. Rosh Hashanah, from Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur, when the aspect of malchus is revealed, when it's more manifest, when it's revealed, it it triggers, it arouses, it affects klolos neshama Yisrael, the holistic entity of Neshama Sisirah, with that sense that they are moved, they are moved to connect and to accept the yoke of the kingdom of heaven from that awe and reverence that the soul experiences in a very real and authentic and deep place from Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Of course, different people experience it different ways. It depends how many blockages there are in a person. It depends how refined, how fine-tuned my antennas are but the neshama's antennas are working, and therefore it feels that revelation of Yireh, that his galus, he calls it, this is the arousal from above, that permeates and affects the person, and affects the person the whole year, but the the the, the central moment, the pivotal moment is from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, the time when 
all the worlds, Malchus Malchus even the highest worlds, experience that Yira, and it flows, it trickles into Klolos Neshama Yisrael to be able to experience Hashem in that way as the ultimate Melech, and therefore giving and experiencing the ultimate and very deep awe and reverence. And that's the second half. The doidili. But before the vidoidi, excuse me, before the vidoidili comes anila doidi. Anila doidi is one has to first arouse the love and awe through the arousal from below, that's Elo. So in these few lines, the Alter Rebbe, in the opening of this Maimah, defined the relationship between Elul, Rosh Hashanah, and Yim Kippur, and it's all encapsulated in those four words, Ani Li, which interesting, it opens up with Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed, those are the Rashi Tevis, that's the acronym. What about the last letters? Four Yuds. Ani ends with a Yud, Ledoidi ends with a Yud, Vidoidi ends with a Yud, Li. So it's Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed in the beginning of the la- of the words, and Yud, 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 Yud at the end of the words. And it's the Bach, the Bayez Chadish, Rabbeinu Yoel Sirkish, Rabbi in Krakow, who wrote the commentary on the tour, the 16th century, and he writes, I believe that he writes, that the Yud, Yud, Yud represents the 40 days that begin the month of Elul, Rish Chadish Elul and end on Yom Kippur. As we know, Moshe was on the mountain, for 120 days, he was there 40 days after the Jews received the Torah, and he came down and broke the tablets. He went on a second 40 days, which ended on the 29th of Av. He went up on the 18th of Tammuz. Rashi makes the calculation. And he came down the 29th of Av. He was pleading for forgiveness. Hashem told him, okay, I have forgiven you. I, uh, make second tablets. Moshe comes down. He goes back up. And now he's there the last 40 days, the last set of 40 days, which end on Yom Kippur. He comes down on Yom Kippur when Jews were completely forgiven with the second tablets. So those 40 days is Yud, 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 because Yud is 10. So 4 times Yud, of course, is 4 times 10 is 40. So Anil Adoidi represents also the time that begins with Elul and continues for 40 days. And this is what Al-Tarab is explaining here, that there's two stages. Anil Adoidi is... My arousal, my commitment, my dedication, my searching for my beloved one. And then there's Vidoidi Li. Ani Lidoidi primarily is Elul. Vidoidi Li primarily is from Rosh Hashanah all the way till Yom Kippur. So we begin with Ani Lidoidi and it continues Vidoidi Li. Vidoidi Li, as he said, is the Sarusa de la the flow that comes from above. This is the the groundwork that he lays. And now he begins to explain this in a more detailed and deeper fashion. Dariz also writes that the time of Elul is the time when the 13 attributes of compassion are revealed. We all know that Hashem gave Moshe Rabbeinu, he revealed the 13 attributes of Rachamim, which is said every morning when Tachrun is said, but especially in the Slichas, which by the Svardim, they begin the Slichas with Shchidosh Elul. They say Slichas throughout the month of Elul. And in Slichas, we constantly, numerous times, repeat the 13 attributes of compassion. 
Vayavra Hashem Alpanov Vayikra Hashem Hashem Kel Rach Vachanan Erech Apayim Rav Chesed Vemitz Dois Chesed Alof Neis Oven Vafetcher Bechatov and Nakei, which is the verse from Parshas Kisisa after the sin of the golden calf. God reveals the thirteen attributes of compassion. Those thirteen attributes define Him. They also define us. There's a whole sefer called Toima Dvara, the palm tree of Deborah of Devora, authored by the great mystic Rabbi Moshe Cordovero the Ramak in the 16th century. I actually began giving classes in Taimad Vayda. We did like small installments. And the theme of the book, the first section of the book is that the 13 attributes of compassion are paradigms for us to emulate how to live, how to build our own lives and relationships. And he goes through literally each attribute of compassion, what it represents by Hashem and what it represents in the person's life. So it says in works of Kabbalah, that Rizal writes, that in Elul, especially, there's a revelation of the Yudgimu Midas HaRachemim. Special time of, of Rachemim, of compassion, of affection, of love. Asks the Alter Rebbe, Ullah to understand what this means, If so, why is the month of Elul considered regular mundane weekdays? They're not defined as holy days, holidays, for example, we have Shabbos, we have Yom Tov. What's the idea of Shabbos and Yom Tov? It's not just that it's a day that we dedicate to rest because everybody needs a break. Yes, it's great as a break, but what is the ultimate meaning of these days? Shabbahem is galos alakos. And the answer to that is on Shabbos and Yom Tov, there's actually a more intensified revelation of the divine energy. There is a glow, there is a glimmer, a ha'ara, ha'ara means a shining of of his godliness. That's what Shabbos is. What happens on Shabbos, it's not just we decide, you know what, let's take a break. It's actually our lifestyle on Shabbos is opening ourselves up to the energy that vibrates through the cosmos on Shabbos. The same is true Yom Tif. And all of the halachas, all of the laws relegating, regulating <laughs> Shabbos and Yom Tif are not just laws in order to create an environment of rest. That's all true. But on a deeper level, these laws are what allow us and help us open ourselves up to the energy of Shabbos and Yom Tif. That's why a person could keep Shabbos only superficially which is still amazing and wonderful and awesome. But I can keep Shabbos, I can follow, you know, have the meals on Shabbos and not engage in the 39 labors of Shabbos, which is amazing. But essentially, that's the beginning, that's not the end. That's creating an environment, creating an atmosphere in my soul and in my home and in my family that allows us to experience the spiritual vibrations of Shabbos and Yom Tov. What is that? He says, That's why we don't work on Shabbos. That's why I don't plant or plow or harvest or ignite or extinguish or write or build or demolish or sow or tear or carry on Shabbos. It's a violation. It's an interference with that tremendous divine intimacy of Shabbos and Yom Tov. Especially at a time when the 13 attributes of compassion are revealed. These are very lofty 
lights. Very lofty, sublime energy. And their ultimate revelation is on Yom Kippur, which again, we then repeat the 13 attributes numerous times. Obviously, we must assume that there's some fundamental distinction between Yom Kippur and Elul, even though about both of these times, our sages explain that there is a revelation of Yom Kippur. So here's his question. Other times in the year when there's a unique revelation of godliness in the cosmos, it's expressed in the nature and the fabric of the day. We don't work. These are called holy days. They're not Yemei HaChel, they're Yemei Kiddush. HaMavdil bin Kiddush Lechel. There's a separation, we make Avdallah. We make Kiddush. Whether it's Yom Tif, whether it's Pesach, Shavuos, Sukkot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Each one with its unique flavor and energy. But the common denominator is there's a deeper revelation and therefore these days are different for us to be able to open ourselves up to that energy. Because you always have to open yourself up to a moment, to an energy. Shabbos has its unique day of holiness. In some ways it's even deeper than Yom Tov, as we know. Many things, things that, some things that are not allowed on Shabbos allowed on Yom Tov. So here's the paradox. Elul, we say, in many ways is like Yom Kippur. It's the revelation of Yom Kippur. And yet, the entire month of Elul, of course, besides the Shabbosim in Elul, which are alike to any other Shabbos, are called Yemei HaChel, the regular mundane days. No prohibitions. We engage in regular work. We engage in regular activities. It's a regular Yemei HaChel, even though we know Elul is a special month. It's called Chayda Sherachim. So the Rebbe is trying to understand what's the secret here. On Yom Kippur, when you deal with the Sherachim are revealed, it's considered the holiest day of the year, Achaz Barshani, and even not allowed to eat or drink. Or anoint yourself or wear shoes. That itself becomes a contradiction and deprives you from experiencing the full power of the day. In Elul, we don't say any of this. It's a regular Yemei HaChel. How do we understand this paradox? And here, Valter Rebbe begins his famous metaphor, his famous marshal that has become a classic in the Jewish world. And I think today, really, the inheritance of the entire Jewish nation, everybody knows the metaphor of the king in the field. But what is the source of this metaphor? Where does it come from? <laughs> it comes from this Maimer. The entire idea that in Elul, the king is in the field. Melech Basada, this is from these few lines, the next few lines in Lakut So many of you have heard this metaphor that in Elul, the king is in the field. But this is the source, so <laughs> it's always good to note that this is the avuha in the kula. This is where it comes from. Achine yuvon. The way we'll understand this is alpi mashal amelach, the second column, based on a metaphor of the king shekoyd and boyeleir before he comes to the city. Yoitzin anshia elikrosay mekablim panav basod. Before the king enters into the city, into the capital. All of the people of the city go out towards him and they welcome his face and his presence in the field. For us and then, everybody has permission. As long as you want to go out to greet him and welcome him, you don't need any protection, you don't need any special passes or connections. Everyone who wants to, if you want to, if you want to go out 
and welcome and say hi and acquaint yourself with the monarch, you have permission. That's on your part. Vuhu on his part. He greets everybody with a beautiful countenance. The expression of Chazal is you should welcome every person pleasantly, peacefully, tranquilly, with a glow, with a smile, not with a sour, harsh, stern face. Right? Shammai teaches us in Prekayavis, greet everybody, be nice to people, make people feel good. So the Alter Rebbe uses this expression that the king in the field greets everybody with a pleasantness, with, with beauty. And he displays a smiling face to everybody. means, you know, there's different faces, <laughs> different facial expressions. We all know that. And the facial expression really carries the nature of your emotions. That's how I know what you're feeling. Some people, for whatever reason, you know, have this uh, stone-like face over, uh, always, and you don't know what they're feeling. But, uh, and, and that's a barrier in life because there's it's blockages, the energy is stuck. So the Balatanya is telling us here that the king at that time is Maraponim Shechagas Lekula. There's a sense of quelling on his face, so happy to see him. When he goes back to the city, when he goes to the city from the field, they follow him. Then when he comes to the sanctuary, to the chamber in which he lives, in which he abides, where his malchus is, now you can't just walk in. You have to have permission. And who gets the permission? First of all, you have to have permission. Everybody has to have permission. You can't just walk in. And who even gets that permission? Joe the plumber will be allowed in. You have, have a, you have to have a reason to go in. It's those who were chosen, elected officials, unique people who have a close, who are working with the king, who are in close proximity with the king, maybe family, maybe servants, maybe the ministers of his government, of his kingship. Those are the people who are allowed in. Even they need permission. And it can take a very long time for a regular lay person to get permission. This is his metaphor. Says Dalte This helps us understand the energy of Elul, that we go out to welcome Hashem's face, the light of His face in the field, which He's going to explain what that means. We'll take a break for a moment. Does anybody have any questions? It seems like the initialist Iris is from Hashem. He's in the field. So why does it say that the initialist Iris comes from us? That's a great question. It seems like a contradiction. You're saying in the beginning, we're saying that the initial arousal comes from us, that's Isarus Adlasata, Ani Lidoidi. Only Rosh Hashanah is Vidoidili, but in the metaphor, he makes sure to come out to the field. That's a good question. That's a good question.
And that's part of the whole explanation here, which I'm going to get to in a moment. So before we continue, let's just clarify to understand what the Balatanya is teaching us here. I always wondered, where did he get this metaphor from? Like, what prompted this metaphor? Of course, unlike in our times, the Alter Rebbe, the author of this Mimer, who said this Mimer, lived in Russia. At the time, he was living in a little city, a shtetl, as we would call it, called Lyazhna, which is in Belarus. They used to call it then White Russia, Vice Rusland. I don't know why it was called White Russia. Is it because of the white snow that fell over there more than other places? I don't know why it was called White Russia. In Yiddish, it was Vice Rusland. Today, they call it Belarus. He lived in Lyazhna. The Tsar, the Russian Tsar at the time, was, in Yiddish, they called him Pavel, Pavel, Paul, Paul I, Paul I. He was the czar from, he was the czar for many, many years, including at that time, till his assassination. Till his assassination, which was in 1801. <laughs> 1801. <laughs> That's when al was arrested a second time. It's an unbelievable story. He saw him and he said that he doesn't see the the glow of Malchus on him, and he was assassinated right afterwards because the Rebbe was taken a second time to Petersburg. And he was succeeded by Alexander, who freed the Rebbe the second time. Paul succeeded Catherine, famous Tsarist of Tsarina of Russia. So Paul was the, was the monarch. He was the Tsar of Russia at this time. Of course, the era of the Tsars, the Romanov family, would end with Alexander, there's Nicholas I, the Russian Marushu created the Cantonistan Xera, and it would end with Nicholas II, who would, of course, be dethroned after the revolution of 1917, and as we found out in later years, was murdered with his wife and all of his children by uh, the command of Lenin, Vladimir Lenin, with the Bolshevik Revolution, which begins in 1917, and this, of course, changes Russia, and it goes from the era of czars to the Bolshevik era of the communist regime, which would continue for 70 years. I say this, not I know we're not learning Russian history now, I'm not an expert on Russian history, but first of all, it's fascinating to always know the historical context when a mimer was said, because you can appreciate it much more. Today, when we speak about a king going to the field, it's like, who's the king? <laughs> And which field is he going to? <laughs> but in those days when Al-Tarebbe said this, Maimer, the Russian czars <laughs> were real czars. They were real kings. And they had incredible, incredible power and incredible authority. And there was an incredible fear and reverence in the people for them. This was ingrained in children from, from birth. The czar, the czar. And really throughout history it was that way. But in Russia there was that special sense, that special experience and loyalty and dedication to the Tsar that was later revealed in the Napoleonic Wars of 1812 of how they uh, defeated the army of Napoleon which was much more modern and progressive and much better equipped. And ultimately in 1941 Hitler also thought he would defeat Russia. And the, 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 the cost of lives for the Russian military is astronomical. And yet, 
they fought back, even though they were much less developed, much more primitive, and they won. Of course, with the help of the Allies. Paul was the Tsar from 1796, which is a year before this Mimer is said, until his assassination, he's killed in 1801. If I'm not mistaken, I have to research this. The Tsars had a special minhag to go out to the field at least once a year. There was I was once teaching this Mimer here, Shabbos and Munsi, and we have a historian there. Uh, an expert in Russian history, somebody who studied it and received degrees in it. So she said that this was, because I was wondering, is this the Alter Rebbe just martial like in concept, or was this a reality that the king came to the field? For example, in our times we have, during campaigning, the presidents or the candidates for presidency go out to meet the masses. you know, And that's when Joe the plumber or Chaim Yankel could meet the president. The president wears simple attire, usually without a tie, more informal, and he'll visit gas stations, and he'll visit parks, and he'll visit supermarkets, and he'll speak to the laymen and women, and that's the point. And at that moment, there is no ear of royalty and aloofness and sublimity. On the contrary, I'm a people's person. I'm part of the masses. I'm interested in your grocery store, in your pop and mom shop. I'm interested in your gas station. I'm interested in the ice cream store. I'm interested in the concerns of the ordinary working man and woman. And of course, the would-be president, the candidate, is always smiling. He's in a different state. So that we know in America during campaigns. Then, when he's elected to be president of the United States... You can't just walk into the White House. I understand that. But this is far earlier generation where you didn't have a democracy at the time. You had a real monarch. So once a year, she said, I have to research this, the czars would go out and they would go out to the fields. The fields meant the people, places where farmers would work. And as he says, everybody could come to greet. There was no exceptions. You didn't have protect. You didn't need protection. You didn't need family connections. You didn't have to be a minister in the government. Remember, you were dealing with people who were peasants, millions and millions of peasants who hung out in fields, in orchards, in farms, in shtetlach, in the outskirts of the shtetlach. Many of them so poor, dire conditions, very simple conditions. And once a year, the king, the czar, would make it a point. So Harum to hang out in the field. And from this Daltarebba made a marshal, Melech Basada, the king is in the field. And what happens? Whoever wants, if you don't want, nobody's gonna force you. If you want, he says in the metaphor, very important, call Misha Roitzelotis. You have to want to go out. If you want to go out and greet him, you could. No limitations, no boundaries, you can. Approach him, he's accessible. That's on your end. On his end, he's not just accessible. He's in a very, very, uh, as he says, very joyous state. Greeting everybody with with love and with affection and with a smile, with a sense of kvelling. This answers your question. If the king is coming out to the field, that means it's Arusa de Leila. True. But how is he coming out to the field? Not in a way that he's drawing you in with the ear of authority. No. 
one of the boys. I'm one of the people. I'm just, I'm the czar, but I'm one of the people. And that's why if you don't want to go out, you don't have to go out. You don't have to look at him. If you turn around, if you turn your back to him, you're not going to be punished for treason and rebellion as it may happen in the palace. Because the whole protocol, the protocols are gone. That system of authority and hierarchy is suspended, at least for a little while. It's not going to be suspended for good. So there's that sense of informality and closeness, and therefore you really have to want to. Because the king is not present there in the full attire and his full aristocratic glory and presence, which draws you in, whether you like it or not. And there's a sense of awe. That happens later in Shoshani Yom Kippur, when he goes back into the palace. Here, the king is in the field, and he's dressed as though you're dressed in the field. There's that sense of kinship. He's one of my buddies. One of my buddies, I don't feel I have to go out. If you want that relationship, you go out. (laughs) In some ways, it's the difference of dating and marriage. You know, during dating, it's a whole different scene, right? You're curious. There's much less judgment. You're inquisitive. Yeah, people are in good moods. It should continue that way. We have to learn from that. It's a whole different scenario. So here we have the, the here we have the metaphor and the explanation why Elul is a regular weekday. It's not Shabbos and Yom Tov. If there's such a revelation in Elul Vidyom so it should be considered a lofty, holy, sublime day. So the Rebbe says, no, that would defeat the whole idea of Elul. The idea of Elul is that the presence of Hashem is in the field. In the field means I'm farming, I'm plowing. On Shabbos, I get dressed in big day Shabbos. I put on Shabbos clothes. Not just the clothes. It's the atmosphere of Shabbos. I go away from the field. I go away from the farm. Six days I plow, six days I plant, six days I weed, six days I harvest, six days I prune. Shabbos, Shabbos Lashem, Shabbos Lashem I abstain. And we go into a different space, a special meal with a tablecloth, with a clean home. We light the candles. We make Kiddush, later Havdalah. Shabbos, Yom The whole idea of El is the opposite. The king comes into my space. I don't have to go into his space. He comes into my space. That's the secret. That's the power of intimacy of Elo. That's the love. I'm here in your space. You could stay in the field. You could wear the same shirt and the same pants and continue. I'll dress like you. You don't have to dress like me. I'm coming into your mind, to your heart, where you are. I want to meet you where you are. I don't need you to meet me where I am. What a gift. God says, I want to meet you where you are. In the field. In your mundane life. In your day-to-day life's experiences. We're soon going to see what that means emotionally and psychologically. This is very profound. And so important. How he's going to describe it in the second chapter. What it means meeting a person where they are. Psychologically, he explains it very, very powerfully what that means emotionally. But we begin to get the picture of that physical illustration. That's what Elul is. So it's not a holy day. If, if, if Elul would become a holy day, you lost the point. Ah, you said it's a revelation of Yom Kippur, but it's very different than Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a holy day. And therefore it requires the person to, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? To disengage with the regular lifestyle. 
before Yom Kippur and after Yom Kippur. And generally the whole Tishra is like this festive month, month of Yamim Toivim and of course Shabbosim. Elul Yemei HaChayl. Because the point of Elul is the king is not in the palace, he's in the field and everybody could come greet him. What does it mean everybody? There's a certain equality. You don't need protection. The simple person is as significant as any other person. What does that mean in a person's life? This is a metaphor. It means within myself, I don't have to bring to God my higher parts, my more royal, worked out, significant, dignified, aristocratic parts. No. Bring your simple parts. The peasant the peasant-like qualities within me, the most mundane aspects of me, come out and you don't need permission. Later you're going to need permission. And who's going to get permission? Only unique people. And if you can get permission, it's going to take time and preparation. And you have to prepare yourself. How are you going to go and what are you going to say? And there's the right titles and the right verbiage. But not when he's in the field. When he's in the field, now we're, we're, buddy, we're buddies, buddies. And the king on his side is that way, from his perspective, and therefore the person from his perspective, or her perspective. That's why it's Yimei HaChayl. Even though there's such a Hizgalos of a given with the Sirachim. Then, the king doesn't stay in the field forever. The king goes to the city. He goes back to the city. And the people follow him into the city. Which would represent the fact that they elevate themselves. But it doesn't begin with that. That It begins with him coming out to the field and saying, Chevre, I'm just here. I'm come into your space. I want to be here in your space. Continues the Alter Rebbe. Kehine The Pasuk says, in Berchus Kayan and Parshas Nosei, Yoir Hashem We all know the blessing we give our children that we get from the Kayanim, right? Yoir Hashem May Hashem shine His countenance upon you. This is the idea that His face, His midas, are shining towards you. That we should be able to look at each other face to face. Like it says, Panim Bipanim Dibirashem. What does it mean, Panim Panim face to face? Physically, it means I look at you, you look at me. Emotionally, it means that the Gili, the revelation of his deepest ruts and of his inner will, should be expressed to the source of all the Nishamas Israel, that the source, every soul originates in the source of all the souls, originate in one mucker. That's why we are all one. So that his pnimi is haratzai. His inner desire, his intimate will, should be felt in the source of all the souls. By the person focusing also his or her inner ratzai, inner desire, I love you, to him, to cleave, to connect. Believe in nefesh with the heart and soul me umkadaliba from the depth of one's heart, but mysterious nefesh with a complete dedication of the soul commission is Barbamakamach. That's the relationship of Yoir Hashem Panavelach. This light comes from what's called Kale, the one of the names of Hashem Kale, Shodesh is Kalayud Gimel Midasim Kerano Kalalusan. According to the Arizal, the beginning of Yudgum Medes is from the word Kale. Hashem, Hashem is an introduction. Then you have 
Kel Racham V'chanon Aleph Lamed. So he says that's the beginning of the 13 Midas and their source and the general energy of the Yidgimel Midas. Kamashikosav, as it says in Tehillim. Kel Hashem Vayoyer Lanu. Hashem is Kel and he has shined his light to us. Shubchines Oyer Ein Seif Baruch Hu Atzmai Mamash. This light that comes from Kel, Kel Hashem Vayoyer Lanu, is the light of infinity itself. As Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem, your God, is a consuming fire. What does this mean? Why compare Hashem to a consuming fire? It's like the light of the fire that comes out from the fire itself. Generally, we don't make a division between the fire itself and the warmth and the light and the ray that comes out of the fire. In other words, when somebody lights a fire, and remember this is before the days where they, you, where they had the ability to use electricity. So this was the source of light. Like, you know, we light a bonfire when you go camping or they had a fire place in the home where you had wood and you lit a fire or coal or whatever it is they used to light the fire, to fuel the fire. So this fire exudes and it spreads warmth and it spreads light. The light comes from the fire, from the ash, like the light, like the rays that come from the sun, from the solar core. So you can't separate between the fire and the light of the fire. In fact, if you do separate between the two, you're not going to have light anymore. If you shut your Venetian blinds, you're not going to have the ray of the sun staying in your house because the rays of the sun are an extension of the sun. You can't separate between the two. The shining of the face that comes into all of the Jewish people it comes from which is the light that comes from the Ein Soif itself. And you cannot distinguish between the two. As we said before, the light of the fire and the fire are indistinguishable. In fact, if you separate them, you're not going to have the fire. So the Alter Rebbe says here, this is the Kale Hashem Vayar Lono, that the Ha'or, the Ur, that comes from Kale, which is the beginning of the Yud Gimel Midas, this is Vayar Lono, this is the Ur that comes from the Ein Saif itself. That's why we call Hashem Eish Oichlo. It's a fire. We call him Hashem. What's the idea of the fire? That the light that comes is directly from the Hashem himself. It's the Ur Ein Saif Baruch Hu Atzmai Mamash. And that's why the Jew is called Yisrael, Milosh and Sar Kale. Yisrael is made up of two words. Sar, Kale. Sar means a prince. Kale is God. The Yud in Hebrew grammar represents that the act, the act is, 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 is happening continuously. Like the Pasuk says, doesn't say Yasa. Yasa means it's happening constantly. So what's a Yisrael? Yisrael is somebody that the kale is a sar. It's a prince that rules his life. Every soul has a divine spark, which gives life to his godly soul. And as a result of that, he gravitates by nature to be part of the source of the life, the light of life, to dedicate his soul to Hashem.
And this transcends the rationality and the wisdom in a person's soul. Through simple rationality and wisdom, the person would never comprehend this state to completely align himself or herself, to completely be mafkir themselves, completely dedicate themselves for Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu says in Parashat today, you are children of Hashem. Chazal tells us that a son, a child, is the kara, the, the knee, the leg of the father, meaning a child is a continuum of the parent. They particularly use this metaphor, karadavua, that he or she becomes absorbed in the desire of the father. They're so connected to their parents beyond rational calculations. Like the leg or the foot, which is completely aligned with the brain, with the head, and there's no separation. He doesn't have his own separate desire. It's like my foot wants to do one thing, my head wants to do another thing, and then my head gets into a fight with my foot and forces my foot to follow the dictates of the head. That's not what happens. A healthy body is a holistic, organic whole, a living organism where the brain is completely one with every part of the body so that the leg and the foot feels that it's an expression of the brain. He says, this is the idea of bonam atam Hashem the ultimate relationship of Hashem and the Jew is one where there is complete alignment. My posture is a channel for him. Again, like the foot, the, like the leg and the brain. They're not two separate entities and the brain has to control the leg and tell the leg, I'm the boss and you have to listen to me. He says, no, ain't like clock. A healthy person, the leg doesn't have an independent identity with an ego. That comes from an unhealthy person. If the leg has its own agenda, it means that there's a lack of connection with the source of life. When you're connected with the source of life, there's a flow of energy that doesn't cease. So the Alter Rebbe says, that's what Yisrael means. Sar Kel. Who is the Sar in you? Sar comes from the word Shrara. Shrara means rulership. A prince is called a sar. A minister is called a sar. Sara was called Sarai, right? Sara. Sara means Shara. She, she had that power of, of rulership to inspire, to illuminate, to lift up all people. That's why Sara was called Sara. It's not just Sarai. My ruler, my princess, but Sara as a noun. She's the princess of everybody. Sarkel, who's the prince in your life? Who is the Shara? In the Megillah, we have Leos Kalish Soyer Bevesa. Every man should rule in his home. That's why Yachashveresh eliminated Vashti. So he says, Who's the Tsar? Who rules your home? Who, ins- who, who rules your soul? Who inspires you? It's the Kale. That's what Yisrael means. To live up to Yisrael, what does it mean to live the, 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 the vision of Yisrael? Yisrael is that state of consciousness where the Tsar in my life, the king in my life, the one who calls the shots in my life is Kale. What's Kale? Kale Hashem Vayarlan. Kale is Hashem. Because the light of Hashem, which is completely one with him, it's not a separation like he said about the fire. The light of Hashem, which is one with him, is shining and flowing through my soul every single moment. 
What I need to do is open myself up to become a channel for it. And the Yud is, it's happening constantly. Yisrael, it's not a one-time event. It's happening constantly. And this is true in every single Jewish soul where you have that divine spark that gives life to your godly soul. And that's why you're naturally drawn and you're naturally connected. And it's beyond what your brain could wrap itself around. It's not a rational thing that basically, intellectually, I researched science and physics and cosmology and I decided that there may be a God in the world. That's beautiful. But this is something he says, it's higher than Chachma. It's higher than Das. Chachma and Das is enough to bring you to deep understanding, to deep awareness. But this ability of complete alignment, as he says, this is a child, the quality of a child. This is complete oneness. This is where there's one organism, like the leg, in relation to the head. It doesn't have its own rotzain. It doesn't have its own desire, its own identity. If you want to know who you really are, you are an embodiment of the divine will. You are an embodiment of the divine infinity. You say, me? Yes, because Yisrael, the kale is the sire in you. That's the one who really rules your life. That's what Yisrael means. Yisrael means when I open myself up to that part of me, which is essentially the flow of divine light, which is Hashem himself. That's what it means it says in Pirkei Avaz. Nullify your will before his will. What does this mean? In order for a person to be able to experience himself or herself on this level of Yisrael, to be able to experience his inner Ratzain, his inner desire, I have to be able to realize that my ultimate Ratzain is his Ratzain. I have to be able to liberate myself from getting stuck in expectations that don't allow me to feel the oneness. What often happens in life is I develop all of these type of desires and expectations and dreams. Instead of realizing what am I at every single moment, I am an ambassador of the divine. That's who I am. So God's will, that is my will. That is my ultimate will. And that's the truth of a Yisrael. It's not something that I can unchoose. The truth of a Yisrael is that I'm in that place. I'm in that space where Kale is my Sar. Yisrael, Sar Kale. Kale is my Sar. That's the prince in my life. That's what rules my life. That's who I am. But it could be more eclipsed. It can be more revealed. When the person could transcend all other itzayness, all other desires and wills, I need things to look this way. I need things to look this way. I want things to be this way. I want things to be this way. And then it's not that way. So I'm living in a place of frustration. When I open myself up to the fact, realize that the leg is the healthiest and the happiest when it just allows the central, the, the brain to rule it. And it becomes a conduit for the energy that comes from the brain. That's the ultimate health. And then you're open. You're open for this flow. So this is the beginning of the explanation of Yoyer Hashem Ponovelecha that he's going to develop later on in the Maimer. The beginning of the explanation that on Elul we go out to welcome Hashem, to welcome his Eid in the field. So he begins to explain. That this is the Yoyeh Hashem Panavelecha. 
the king coming and sharing that inner desire, that inner passion to be one with you and flowing through you. That's the state of Yisrael. This is where there is the complete alignment between the king and the person. So it's not like the physical king who is separate. Over here, it's like a child. Where you're like one organism. There's no separation. So it's not like God is in one place and you're in another place. And the question is, do you listen to him or do you not listen to him? In the ultimate sense of the relationship, he says, there's no separation whatsoever. If I can get out of my seeing myself as separate, as detached, as disconnected, and I have this desire, and I have this desire, and I have that dream. And he says, the real thing, the real truth is, your ultimate desire is to be a channel for his desire, because you are one, you are the embodiment of Hashem in this world. There's no separation. It's like, what does your leg really want? What does it want? <laughs> Wants to be detached from the head? No, it's dead. It'll be lifeless. What does it really want? The healthy leg wants to be a channel for the soul, which is in the entire body. It begins in the brain, which is the central nervous system, and from there it extends to the entire body. So that's the ultimate oneness, the ultimate relationship, which is represented by the name Yisrael and the beginning of the Yudgim Midasarachamim. Kale, that when these Yudgim Midasarachamim are shining, the Jew can open themselves up to experience this Kale Hashem Vayar Lanu. The light that comes from Kale, from Hashem himself. Kale is a name of Hashem, which is completely one with him and it flows through the soul. So that's the beginning that in Elul, every single Jew, whoever wants, if you want, you could find the king in the field. And the field means in your space, in your life, on your terms, in your reality, meeting you where you are at today. In your attire, in your regular dress, in your regular involvements, activities, the way the Jew is in a very normal, regular, mundane state, not segregated, not aloof, not sublimated, not holy, not sacred, not trendless, not Shabbos and Yom Tif. But you have that relationship that you have with the When I go out to the field, that's where the king is. So he says, we go out to welcome him in the field, and he shows a smiling face to everybody. Hashem is accessible to all and accessible to all in their regular self. You don't have to redo yourself, remake yourself, revamp yourself. You don't even have to get dressed for the occasion. I want to see you the way you are on a regular Monday morning, on a regular Wednesday morning afternoon. You know, in life, we have times when we're dressed up. You're going to a dinner, you're going to a fancy event, you're going to a festive event, you're going to a mitzvah, a chasana, and we dress up, and we... We have to come in a particular state. That's not Elul. The idea of Elul is he's in the field. The field means as you are, vidushtezd, vidugeist, here I am in every aspect of myself, the way it is. I don't have to tamper with it. I don't have to uh, revamp it. I don't have to mutilate it. I don't have to... Uh, uh, What's the word? You know what a bonsai tree, when they weed out everything that's uh, obstructing the flow? It doesn't have to be the perfect tree. The way you are in all of your layers, that's how he wants to meet you. So this means every person has their field-like parts, meaning parts of you that are not worked out. They're not sophisticated. And they're not holy. There's the parts of you that are holy and they're worked out, like in the city. The city, you go into the palace... 
there's an aura of glory and aloofness and, and respect and, and reverence and royalty that's going to be later in Shoshana Yom Kippur. But in the month of Elul, he wants to meet you in the field, in your field-like parts, the parts of you that reflect the field, meaning parts of you that are not worked out. I'm a peasant. The parts of me that are not sophisticated. The parts of me that are stressed. The parts of me that are that are raw. The parts of me that are vulnerable. The parts of me that are not holy and sacred. That's where I want to connect to you. That's where I want to be with you. That's where I want to find you. That's where I want you to know that we have that relationship because you're Yisrael. Okay, we'll take a break here and uh, we'll continue Bezer Hashem this Mimer on uh, Thursday morning, 7.30. Tomorrow morning, there's going to be the Parsha class at 9.45 a.m. Let me just take a few questions. Question number one. You said that the czars came out to mingle with the people once a year. So I heard from a historian, I have to research it. We do see nowadays, somebody's asking, that politicians campaigning for offices hold rallies. They go out to where the people live and work, they shake hands, they mingle, they say nice comments. They're basically campaigning for office. Is Hashem doing the same thing? Is he trying to campaign? He's running against anybody? Because he wants us to coronate him? Rosh Hashanah, we coronate him. Does that mean he won the elections and he gets coronated on Rosh Hashanah? Maybe a better metaphor than a king of the people or politicians campaigning is two people who love each other, who renew and restate their mutual love from time to time. It's the time or maybe of the annual anniversary, Moshe staying the last 40 days and getting forgiveness. So this is maybe a more appropriate metaphor. Well, I think actually you're making a very good point. In a way, Elul is a campaign. But in a very positive sense, we are going to coronate Hashem Rosh Hashanah. And why are you going to coronate Hashem Rosh Hashanah? Not because somebody forces you to coronate Hashem. That's not a coronation. Memshala, rulership, can be defined as a dictator. Melucha has to be volitional. You have to accept it willingly. The coronation of Rosh Hashanah is because I want to, because I feel that this is my ultimate life, this is my ultimate truth. So Elul is really what helps happen, What helps that happen. In many ways, it is a campaign. In many ways, it's like the courtship that precedes the proposal and the marital commitment. You can't just get married in a moment. There is dating, there's getting to know you and getting to know you in your regular place. Dating is not about, I'm all dressed up and I show off as somebody who I am not. That's a horrible type of date. The whole point of dating is, courtship is, I get to see you the way you are. Now, we all know we get dressed and we try to speak a certain way, but the point is you want to get to know the person behind the surface, behind the external layers. That's the field. I want to know you in your field. I don't only want to know you in your palace. I want to know you in the field. I want to know the king in the field and I want to know the subjects in the field. And that's why Rosh Hashanah, you can have this type of coronation. Are you saying that the reason the Alter Rebbe gave this metaphor of the king in the field is because the czars used to really go out into the field and that's where he got this metaphor? I would have never thought 
that he got this metaphor from the physical world. I cannot tell you where he got the metaphor from. I mean, it doesn't say earlier. Obviously, it's his own metaphor. But what inspired an Alter Rebbe this metaphor? I don't know. He doesn't say. He just says this is the marshal. I'm just adding that historically it's fascinating. If this is the case that the Tsars would go out to the field, it's fascinating because he wasn't just giving a marshal from a concept that existed in his mind. He was giving a metaphor from something that was happening in Russia that the Hasidim, his disciples and students, understood right away what he was referring to, which is the purpose of a metaphor. Why do we give metaphors? Why do we give allegories? Why do we give Mishalom? The answer is to bring down the idea to the world of the people because it's the metaphor that they can relate to. So when the Altarebbe gives you a metaphor, he didn't have to give the metaphor, but he felt that without the metaphor you won't be able to understand the message. And the truth is, the metaphor adds a lot. Because what's the metaphor? The metaphor is basically like going out to the field. (laughs) The very concept of a metaphor means bringing down a concept into a lower space. It's basically going out to the field. I could teach something on a more abstract level, but I want to bring it down in a more tangible way. So I give practical metaphors and illustrations and allegories. So the very metaphor here represents what a metaphor is. (laughs) you got to go to the field. you got to meet people where they are. You can't always expect them to meet you where you are because you're going to lose them. Or you're going to lose many parts of them. And I don't want to lose any part of you. Because all of you and all of me are really one. One more question. Question is, but we are separated. We are physical people. We live in a physical world. And we are really separated. So why do you say that it's like the foot and the head, the leg and the head, which is not separated? So that's the whole point that he's saying. Yisrael means you become aware of the realization that you're not separate. That the kale is the sar in you. That the light of the Ein Soif flows through you. Kale Hashem vayar lano, that you're not separate. You see, the physical world is not really separate. Everything in the physical world is a mirror of the spirituality of the higher world, like we spoke about this many, many times. If you really want to understand this, learn the Maimah Vyadaita Moskva. You have it on the yeshiva.net. Vyadaita Moskva. It's a Maimah from the 5th Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab. He explains this at length. But the point is, every reality in the physical world is really a mirror of a higher spiritual reality. So there's no separateness. Just like in a healthy organism, there's no brain living in one world and a leg living in another world. It's one unified organism that's always interconnected and integrated with the brain. And there is a flow of energy, and that's what health means. Health means when there's no tension, when there's just serenity that comes from that oneness. So the Alter Rebbe says, in that ultimate realization of the self, there is oneness, there's no separation. So yes, I may have different temptations, and I may have different desires. means to let go and realize that ultimately what I want is just to be a reflection of that oneness. So there is no tension, there is no separation. There could be separation in my mind, but that's the only place where there could be separation. In my mind. If I could let go of that in my mind, there's really no separation. The whole world is one with them. That's what we learn in so many Maimarim. Enoid Malvada. Next question. Great questions. 
I love the idea that in your field, he comes into the field as you are, not dressed up. In my field, I am with dirty overalls. <laughs> I am with dirty overalls. That's where God comes to. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You're a man of the people. That's, that's great. You see, he said it better than me. That's the point. That's the point in the field. I'm not wearing my beautiful tuxedo, my prince-like garments, my, you know, label design suit, or whatever, Bekesha, Strymel. I'm wearing my, my, my overalls in the field, in the farm. I'm there with the pitchfork and with the shovel <laughs> and with my oxen who are plowing the field. In the summer, why is there, why is there no school in the summer? Because July and August in the United States, the kids took off school because they had to help their parents in the farms. They had to. So July and August, there couldn't be any school. So even later when America changed and farming morphed into other forms of labor and work, that tradition still stayed. You don't go back to school July and August. (laughs) So yeah, when you're in the farm, in your overalls, that's where he is. I did. I heard that the metaphor of the king in the field is brought in earlier sources. Is that the case? I never saw it. Could be. That would be very interesting for me to know. I never saw it brought. Maybe there's a similar idea. This metaphor in connection to Elul, I never saw anywhere before the Kudotar. Maybe, I don't know, but I'm just telling you what, as far as my knowledge goes. Where have you been the last few weeks? I have been traveling. I I was in the field, in the fields. Didn't we learn this metaphor some time ago in a different mimer? No, not as far as my recollection. I taught this mimer once Shabbos a few years ago, maybe last year. I taught it a few times on Shabbos, so maybe that's where you remember it from if you were there this year, Shabbos and Muncie. But... Uh, we never did it in, in our weekday classes, not that I recall. Okay, my dear friends, I'm going to wish you all a, uh, a, beautiful, a beautiful day. Somebody asks another question. The king goes into the field, into the people. What would the opposite look like? The opposite? The opposite would look like that he doesn't come into the field. <laughs> you can only meet him in the palace, but the point of Elul is no, that he meets you in the field. Have a beautiful, beautiful day. Great to see everybody. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.